Phillies' Adam Levko got to cover the NBA for Turner in baby steps. He started in Hastings, Nebraska, not even covering sports. I was a news reporter five days a week. The other day, I came in and I created the first ever digital sports show in Nebraska. I literally sold it for $100 a month to the one bar in town because I needed clips of me doing sports. So that helped me get a job in Louisville, Kentucky. His job now is a dream for anyone aspiring to be in sports media. A 76ers fan who's gone national. Adam Lefko on Fresh 24. Sixers lock all windows and doors. Adam Lefko, Philly born, Abington friends, gigantic Sixers fan, 36 and climbing, married to a beautiful woman. You are everywhere as far as sports media is concerned. My only question to you is, how can I possibly be the man when you're the man? Uh just like I hit you up before and I told you that the name of my closest friend group chat is for the win. Yes. Uh, because wow. zoo, like I know we're going to get into a little bit later, but my first, Oh crap. I think I might actually have a chance at this moment was when I was in Louisville, when we were doing all the sports cast. I know we're gonna get to that later. And I got a phone call from a number I didn't recognize and I picked it up and it was you. And you Did were like, that? you were like, Hey, what's up, man? Like, I heard you're kind of from this area, but you know, your stuff's spreading all over the place. I just want you to know that like you bring like a unique style to this and it's definitely you keep doing it. If you ever need any help. And I was so blown away because, um, 2001 I'm blown away right now. Yes. 2001 Sixers team was like, the team of my youth that that I felt like 93 Phillies was a little too early for me. 2001 uh, Sixers was like right in there. And all of your catchphrases, all of your energy. Um, I've said before that you and Barkan kind of instilled in me that it's okay to be a little homerish and like that it, it's part of the reason why I rooted for the team so hard. So uh, that's why you're the man, dude. Cause like you were the first time where I was like, People are actually seeing my stuff. This is crazy. Well, all the credit goes to you because you're the one who produced it. You're the one who wrote it. We'll get to that stuff later. But first, and let me say this with all due respect and all the love that I can muster, but you're like dog poop, man. You're all over the place. <laughs> Tell me what you're doing. You got a lot of stuff going on. So we just finished up the Tuesday show. So that's every Tuesday for four months. So I fly down to Atlanta. I'm in New York right now. Fly down to Atlanta on Monday, do the show Tuesday, come back. Fill in for Ernie. I just did a lot of March Madness. This was the first time that they had me hosting on set for March Madness. And as I know you understand, when you're pivoting sports, all of that research becomes all of your free time where I'm – 
who's on Texas A&M? You know, what, what right. is, what is Creighton style? Like, by the way, um, let me just interject. This is all Turner stuff we're talking about now. Correct. Correct. All right. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I, w- I was doing a podcast for a very long time. And when my really good friends, Chris Sims, who's now on uh, football night in America on, on uh, NBC and Josh Fendrick, who's now a higher up at overtime, it, it became a lot of work after that. And as I'm sure you're experiencing, and I started getting a lot more TV gigs. I'm going to be hosting the NFL draft show for Bleacher Report later this month. That'll be the 10th year in a row that I host that. That's like a one of my favorite sporting events ever. And then usually my summer is filled with doing different features or shooting with athletes because they have free time in the off season that I can put out in the winter uh, when NBA and NFL starts. So that's when we've done like underrated and stuff like that. But you're catching me in a nice little window uh, where I'm just yours, Zoom off, just yours. Uh, I'm amazed that you're even free for this amount of time. I mean, there, there have to be Adam, a lot of young people are out there and they're listening and they're saying, yo, I want to be him. How can somebody be you? Mm. Uh, Number one is never stop and never quit. I think um, my path was, I I don't know how usable my path is these days. Um, So making 18.5 in Hastings, Nebraska, I was a news reporter. But every step of the way, it was always the things that I did in my free time that got me the looks. So I was a news reporter five days a week. The other day I came in and I created the first ever digital sports show in Nebraska. I literally sold it for a hundred dollars a month to the one bar in town because I needed clips of me doing sports. So that helped me get a job in Louisville, Kentucky, where still sports, but moved to still news moved to sports. And then I was like, this is a state divided. It's Louisville and it's Kentucky. And so then what I did was, let me be the king of the rivalry. And I spent, I don't know, 70 hours producing a documentary that you can watch on YouTube right now called Red V Blue. That got me a lot of national attention from like a college basketball sort of landscape. Um, So it was always like the extra stuff that got me noticed. And then the um, this is, will be my biggest advice is figure out what makes you you. What can you do that nobody else can do? And then go 100 miles per hour into that. And that was wrestling references, Seinfeld references. That was um, my bosses came to me after the second one and they were like, hey, we, we need you to do this in sweeps. And I was like, oh, no, I have control for the first time over something. And no, you can't put somebody else in here to do this. So I'm going to do rap and then I'm done. And rap exploded. And that's probably when I got the Zoom off call. Um, But I I would say anytime that you're feeling doubt, realize that we've all felt this. Anytime that you think you've done enough, do more. And the most important is figure out who you actually are, what actually makes it fun for you, and then do that all of the time. Don't try to impress everybody. Nobody's woke up the next day and be like, man, did you hear that stat Lefko dropped last night? That's it's how it's how you make people feel. And so I think once once younger people realize their own opinions 
and what they stand for. I think if they want to be on camera, they can pop a lot more because they can just be themselves and not emulating a Zumoff or an Ernie Johnson or something like that. Although I've always said that you can incorporate, you can observe someone and take in their style and make the best it yours artist in a, is a way. good thief. Yes. There you go. Without imitating necessarily, I always say there's a difference between imitating and incorporating, but you had mentioned the word doubt. Mm. And this podcast has become a little bit of a confessional for me. And that, mm. um, you know, throughout a good part of my career, I felt like I had imposter syndrome as successful as you are right now. So ever once in a while, like, uh, like what am I doing here? And, uh, you know, am I for real? Do, do you ever think some of those thoughts? I'll never forget going in to host the first Tuesday show. Uh, and thinking that people were going to like show me what to do and like make it easy. And then I sit in the meeting and they go, okay, we're going to start off. Uh, we got LeBron taking on the thunder tonight. Uh, Adam, what, what, uh, graphic do you like to lead with? And it was that thing where like 70 people at TNT turned to me, 70 people <laughs> that I've always wanted to join their team. And I was faced with the decision right there. Either I go, whatever you think, and cede that power, or I'm just going to have that imposter syndrome, and I'm just going to do it. And I might be crazy, but I'm going to go for it. And mm. I, that was that was one of those moments. That first show where um, I'm going to the producer, you know, in between in between like halftime and and post game, and I'm like, okay, just go over it with me one more time. We go here to here to here to here. Like once I have a map, I'm good. Uh, mm -hmm. That was definitely one of those moments. And, you know, like I had times in Nebraska where I thought I was going to be stuck there. There mm -hmm. was a time in Louisville where I I told uh, my family that I think I'm going to switch to radio. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the radio job came open and I didn't get it because they said the other guy had a house and kids and he they wanted more stability. Mm -hmm. And so I had that, and that was right before the, the sports cast. So you, and then I got to Bleacher Report and I was at Bleacher Report for five, six, seven years doing digital content, shooting 30 videos a day. The, the top three X factors for the Giants this off season, I'm joined by Connor Orr, the Newark star ledger, like that 30 different times. And I, I, I had breakdowns where I was like, this can't be it. Like this, Yes, the paycheck is nice and I'm in New York and this is cool, but like this, this is not fulfilling. And whenever that happens, that's when the imposter syndrome turns into the creative process, which is mm. I'm in a hole. How do I dig myself out of the hole instead of how do I decorate the hole? Which mm. I think some people, they're like, I guess I live here now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the creative process is we return to Louisville. Uh, where you had these theme sports casts, and one of them had, I don't know, a two, three dozen Seinfeld references. Let's listen and watch. Hello, Newman. You know, it's undeniable Rick Pitino is the most influential man in the history of basketball in the bluegrass. His 96 Kentucky team, dominant like the Moops. His most recent cards, captivating like a red dot on a cashmere sweater. The Hall of Fame did not ask Patino. They simply said, 
Take the pen. So, Patino had his celebration. Now, it's a Festivus for the rest of us. It's rivalry week for the Cats and Cards, and many seem to doubt any animosity between new Kentucky coach Mark Stoops and Charlie Strong. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Now, let me remind you, they have had words. And the jerk store called, and they're running out of you. Serenity now. For the cards, Teddy Bridgewater should probably be kept wrapped up like the bubble boy. He is the key to everything. But keys, that's what got Teddy in trouble this weekend. You see, at the end of the first half, Teddy actually tried to call off the punt team. That's him waving them off right there. Charlie Strong began yelling, and I doubt he was saying Stella, and sent out the punter. So, why Charlie? After saying Teddy had the keys to the car all week, was it suddenly no soup for you? Max Smith threw for 310 yards and three touchdowns in the win. He is a modern-day Lloyd Braun. For offensive coordinator Neil Brown, he hopes Saturday's pace is overwhelming, like the effects of Beefarino. So, were you a huge Seinfeld fan? Did you have to consult with people? How did that all happen? Uh, what happened was, this was... I've been at Louisville, been in Louisville for three years. Uh, couldn't get an agent, Zoo. Like, mm. I had one lady tell me, if you switch to news, I can get you in Philly tomorrow. Mm. But I, I will not represent you if you want to stay in sports because I don't think that you stand out enough in sports. And so it started because on Sunday nights, I would go and get dinner with my friends between the 6 and the 10, and I would say – messages to them on the 11 o'clock news and they would send me videos of them dying. So I'd be mm. like, Drew Brees <laughs> drops back and happy birthday, Tiffany, touchdown Saints. <laughs> and I got a video of <laughs> Tiffany going nuts. And so I, I had uh, some friends and, and an agent that were like, man, you got to just be creative. And I said, let me do this on social media. And so the Seinfeld mm. one, it was simple as going to Twitter and saying, send me your favorite Seinfeld isms. So you would get uh, moments, take the pen, or it would be, uh, um, you know, the bet or just character names. And what I would do is I would combine all of them onto one word document. So I'd have like a hundred and I would almost treat it like um, a Mad Lib where I hmm. produced my whole show and I did it normal, like how I would have done the show. And then Anytime I saw an adjective or a verb that I thought, or like a comparison, I was like, oh, this could fit there. And mm -hmm. I just tried to do it as many times as I could. And I would fill it in because, you know, when you're local news, you're building the graphics too. So I'm putting them on graphics and all of that. But I think the part of that that goes the most underlooked now that I think about it was I would go, I would stay at the office until 2 a.m. those nights because I'd have to rip it. This is not a digital news station. So I'd have to then convert it. I'd have to upload it. I'd have to wait for it to upload to YouTube for whatever. I'd have to do all of that stuff. And then I would send it to these websites and pray that it made it on their thing. But mm -hmm. there's this notion, and you know this, where, oh, you get on and you do the game and then you're done. And all of the work beforehand and afterwards is what creates the opportunities for people to see you. Um, but I was, I was huge into Seinfeld and that, that, I mean, I think I made the Jewish exponent and I think my mom loved, that was when my mom was like, wow, it really did go everywhere. <laughs> um, staying in Louisville. You're covering the University of Louisville. Of course, uh, Rick Pitino was our head basketball coach for a number of years. 
And I don't know where it was in your career there. It might have been early. And mm -hmm. you're at a news conference and you ask him a question. And what does Coach Patino respond with? Very early in my Louisville career. And I'd only interviewed the football coach who, when you asked him a question, he just answered. He just returned your question as an answer. So mm -hmm. I would go, mm -hmm. hey, coach, that punt return in the third quarter really seemed to change momentum. What was it from your vantage point? And he would go, you know, that punt return in the third quarter really changed momentum. That's just how I saw it. So I was like in condition. I was like, this is how it works. So I went to Patino and they're getting ready to take on Butler, who just went to the national championship and they still had Shelvin Mack and mm -hmm. Rick Patino had this young backcourt. And I said, Rick, are you worried about their backcourt controlling the pace of the game? And he looked at me and I saw in his eyes two things. I don't know who this is and I need to bring this person down a size. And he said, oh, do you watch film? Oh, do you study tape? What is their pace of play? How long is every possession? When do they usually shoot in the shot clock? And I was like, coach, all I'm saying is that they have seniors and you have freshmen. And I think that that would be an advantage. And he goes, come back with a better question and we can try this again later. And I tried, I said, sir. And he goes, come back with a better question. And from then on, I only came with great questions. Like two, they, they ended up winning the game by 20, of course, because Rick is Rick. And I came back and I said, coach, nine of the last 10 times that you've beaten a ranked opponent, you've won the next game. How do you keep the momentum high and not let them enjoy the win? And he looked at me and that was like the nod of like, oh, you actually did it. And that I, I became after that obsessed with actually asking questions because I think my generation was the first to really say talk about or um, really telling players what to say um, or just saying you and you and Joel, your relationship, talk about it. And so I became a stickler to how to craft a question to actually make it a question. And those are the moments that help inspire you to work harder. Um, because if it was if all I had was two coaches that really didn't push me at all, like. I would have been asking dumb questions for a long time, but I think Rick Pitino really did help change that for me. Just as, a, as an aside, Larry Brown, that great Popovich, you always had to come strong. Don Nelson comes to mind. You always had to come very strong with them, certainly in my NBA career. But uh, as you do now, later on, you start working for Bleacher Report, and you talked earlier about some of the features you plan on doing with athletes over the summer during their downtime. Uh, you did something that uh, I thought was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen with former Chicago Bears running back Tariq Cohen, and it was called the Jewish Combine. And, well, it really took the cake, the Jewish apple cake. Let's listen. Let's listen to a slice. Cohen, though, I mean, that's in the Mount Rushmore of Jewish names. It really is. I am 100% Jewish. Yeah. What I want to give to you is the full Jewish experience. I can call it a Jewish combine to making you feel like a true Jewish man. Are you ready to take this journey with me? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely ready. Okay. L'chaim. L'chaim. Uh, this is our first dish. Uh, this is a customary Jewish breakfast. Uh, do you want to take a guess as to what is in front of you right now? Sushi. Sushi. It is not sushi. It is smoked salmon. What do you think? Cream cheese and fish? <laughs> exactly, man. 
I don't like it. <laughs> you don't? Do you mind if I have a bite? You have all Damn. the bites, okay. Ah. I mean, it's perfect. This is a Jewish deli staple. And it's not just what it is, <laughs> it's the size of it, okay? Yeah. This is a pastrami on rye. And do you see how much meat is on there? Yeah. That's a not just special. excessive. Can't miss it. I think he's gonna like this. You think I like feel it? pretty confident about it. I, I really give him credit for having guts to just dive in there, though. Why is there no cheese or nothing on it, though? Cheese, mayonnaise, or something? Well, that wouldn't be kosher. We have one more. This is the Cadillac of Jewish food. Tariq Cohen, I'd like to introduce oh. you to your new favorite food, matzah ball soup. Matzah ball. Matzah ball. Oh, it's soft. It's very soft. And there it is. Oh, that's good. That's the 10 It's like chicken noodle soup, really. It's chicken noodle soup. The second part of our Jewish combine is Jewish slang. Okay. Not only do I want you to eat like a Jew, I want you to talk like a Jew. So here's the first word. This is gonna be fun. It is. Schmooze. Schmooze. What do you think schmooze means? Good sleep. Good sleep. Oh, like a schmooze. I'm gonna like go schmooze. I'm gonna go schmooze. I'm about to so schmooze. a schmooze is actually to like kind of talk somebody up. Hey, I like your play calls, Matt Nagy. That's yeah, a really good one. You schmooze them, so he gives you the ball. Okay. Yeah. You schmooze, you win. Right. <laughs> Next word. Ooh. Good luck saying this one. Chutzpah. 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 All right, so you gotta get a chutzpah. Oh. We were in the team meeting. And Tariq Cohen stood up and said, I don't like that play. Tariq's got a lot of chutzpah. Like balls. Yeah. Exactly. This is the Jewish slang phrase of all generations. Oy vey. Oy vey. What do you think it is? Tariq Cohen was supposed to run the slant route and he ran the go route. Oy vey, Tariq Cohen. Or it's like, all those pickles for me? Oy vey. Oh yeah, I got you. So it both is good and bad. It could be everything. Yeah. That's the one I'm gonna use right there. You have Ace the Jewish Combine, and I have a gift for you. Oy vey. Oy vey. <laughs> I give you a Chicago Bears yarmulke. It's a Jewish fitted cap. A Jewish fitted cap, yes. Oh my gosh, it looks so beautiful. Sim, if you're not out of here, oh, a Giants yarmulke. I like it. Put that bad boy on. Yeah. And I have an Eagles yarmulke. Now we celebrate. Let's give it up for it. That to me was really funny. And, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Tariq was very willing to play along. I think that really helped to make it. So we, that was our, we gave him a bear mitzvah. And it, it was so, again, I've done 10 NFL drafts. This will be my 10th one. And when Tariq Cohen got drafted, I saw he's 5'6", and his name is Tariq Cohen. And I remember during the live show being like, I just need someone to check if this kid's Jewish. <laughs> like, can we, can we, because they also, the Bears also had like an Eddie Goldman, and but he was like a 6'5", 350, and he, neither were Jewish. Yeah. There's this beautiful thing with NFL players that are younger, that they don't make a lot of money. And this was before NIL and a lot of sponsorships. Tariq Cohen was not getting offered to do stories with Bleacher Report beforehand. And mm. so they flew him out to New York. He had never been to New York. We took him to, excuse me, Sarge's Deli on the east side. 
And what made it so great was his genuine reactions, calling a yarmulke a Jewish fitted hat, not knowing, thinking that matzo balls were made out of mozzarella. Um, <laughs> and what's, what's funny now as I look back is we had all these extras sitting around that were all just employees at Bleacher Report, and you could see them laughing as it's going on. Um, but that was another one where that's, that's my people. And so I know what works with my people, just like I felt like the Seinfeld stuff. And it is still one of the most commented videos to me in person that I've ever gotten because I just – I think a lot of people were thinking the same thing, and he was such a good sport about it. Another piece of video, and this is more recent, it's you and Shaquille O'Neal on the TNT set, and it's a rather playful moment, and it really got uh, everybody laughing. Let's take a look. We got one more. <laughs> one more. Let's see if it makes Shaq give him another $20. Oh, What's more disrespectful, what Shaq did to Chris Dudley or what Will Smith did to Chris Rock? Wow. Oh, you asked me the question? That was a question for you. There's no one better to ask. I'm going to uh, choose mine. <laughs> one, two, three, four, fifth. You going to plead the fifth? Now you're going to choose yours. No, I'm going to choose mine. <laughs> yours is more disrespectful. Keep my name out your mouth, brother. <laughs> Yo, I smacked you so hard. Yo, you go down like Chris Rock. Yeah. Real nice. Me, Shaq, wait. Candace, we're gonna miss you, Candace. I miss y'all. Huh. Let's end with this. A little pink magic. <laughs> y'all gonna get you so bad. I'm playing, I'm playing here. So this is Shaquille O'Neal playfully mm. slapping you. Now, uh, I just want to back away for a second and say this. You as a kid, you're, you're growing up and you're, you're watching Shaquille O'Neal as a player. And now he's on the set of a nationally televised show and he's playfully mm. slapping you and you're all part of the shtick. Do you ever have like, a, like an out-of-body moment where... Even if you're just watching it later on, am I actually part of this? It's always your friends that make comments that trigger that realization in you. I had a friend that came by the studio and, and hung out one night and he was he just kept being like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And then it made me realize, oh, wait, I went to preschool with this kid and he's shocked. Uh, Jamal Crawford says to me all the time, did you ever think? Because he's very reflective and he's very observant. Um, Shaq is the biggest kid I've ever met in my entire life. Our second show together, he goes, you ever see that clip of Bruce Smith when he faints during an interview? And I was like, yeah. He goes, we can recreate that. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking he meant like a week from now or two weeks from now. And I go, yeah, like I'll just talk and blah, blah, blah. And then as I was doing that, he tripped himself, fell on the brand new set broke it, glass shatters, Wade and Candace are going, what, what? And then I'm the only one that knows. And he rolls over and he looks at me and he winks. And, and I was like, and he stuck out his hand and he's going to go, he goes, we're going to make a lot of viral videos together. And I was like, okay. And now like, um, now with Shaq, where we just sit in the back and he'll, he'll come up to me and he'll go, he go, you, you have a marketer's brain. Like I'll like he'll, he'll like have ideas for companies and stuff and I'll help him out with it. 
And that's like really surreal. To, what's really crazy, Zoo, is we're sitting there in the back and we're watching the game of the night and then NBA TV is on and it's like Shaq scoring like 45 and 15 against the Sixers and like elbowing Matumbo in the face. And I'm like, do you know how much I hated you? Do you know how much you ruined this? And he's just like, yeah, but I dominated them. They had no chance. And it's Shaq is one of those people that, you know, it's either walking into an arena or being around like Shaq or the other night I did a show with Isaiah Thomas and, and we're talking about basketball in the eighties and bird and magic. Those are the other moments where you're, you're sitting there and you kind of, like zonk out of it really quick that and when lebron broke the record i had that moment i why was that i did not we didn't think before the show that he was going to do it on a tuesday we thought that they were playing the bucks on thursday where kareem played we thought it made more it was like there was more story he was 35 away so like it would have had to be in a huge game if he were to do it on tuesday night and then he came in wearing an all black suit and Candace Parker immediately went, oh, he's going for it tonight. Mm. And my take always was if if there are stars in this in the arena, if Denzel is there and Jay-Z is there, I think he's going to get motivated to not go, let me do 18 tonight and 19 tomorrow. Mm. Um, but you know how it is. They get done, and then it's a mad grab for, like, where's LeBron going to go? And then as a broadcaster, you're going, okay, I need to keep talking, but this is history, so I don't want words to fall out of my mouth that mean nothing. Simultaneously, I don't know when we're getting LeBron. And so you're sort of like talking and like touching and being like, man, I hope he shows up. We thought we were going to get him in the second segment. He came right to the TNT cameras as soon as as the game ended, and the producer's in my ear going, we're getting LeBron right now. And so it's like, bam, 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 and then the camera's coming in and I'm watching to see like when he gets the headset on. But at the same time, this is a Haley's Comet. This record has been broken in 40 years, 38 years. It might not get broken for 60 years just by like how it's grown each time. And so this was one of those moments where I had a little bit of imposter syndrome because of course you do. And at the same time, I went back and I have a notebook that in the off season, I just will go to a coffee shop for like four hours and I'll just grab a cup of coffee and I just have one thing and I just pour. So it might be like funny things to do with Shaq and I'll just do that for four hours. Hmm. Well, I also read a lot and I, I, I write down quotes that I find interesting. And so in the two minutes before like the game is over and we're figuring it out, I went and I found this quote, which was, um, throw me to the wolves and I'll come back leading the pack. Hmm. And I just thought that that summed up LeBron's entire legacy, let alone the fact that his tequila brand is Lobos, which has a wolf on it. Yeah, right. Um, but just the fact that like we kind of threw this kid, oh, you're the king. And then he came back and now he's the king. And I'm, I'm so happy that something that I wrote down in June uh, helped me in that moment. So it's like preparation that I didn't even realize that I was doing. Um, but that was a moment where I do it. I asked LeBron the question, Zoo, and then I went. And Jamal was watching me the entire time because now I'm off camera. And he looks at me and he just goes and he mouths, did you ever think? And I was like, yeah, no. right. Like, 
because he saw that I was just like landing a plane. And then mm -hmm. I realized what I had done. And then it was like, okay, keep your cool. Cause you know, it's still crazy that we do this, man. It is crazy. Uh, I, I, I want Check out our friends over at Philadelphia Sports Nation, a local Philadelphia sports site covering your favorite teams across blogs and social media. PHLSportsNation.com. Philadelphia Sports Nation. PHL Sports Nation. Enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan. All right, I'm going to let you be a fan. We're going to talk about the Sixers. Sure. But first, I want to digress here into a little bit of fun. It's a segment we're trying to do every once in a while. It's actually two parts. One, I'm going to give you a choice between two things, and we're going to go quick here. You just got to blur it out and answer. I don't okay, even want you I'm going to cover my eyes okay? to focus. Yeah, okay. Ready? Here we go. It'll be really quick. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Blue or red? Blue. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Rock or rap? Rap. Beach or mountains? Beach. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Hot or cold? Cold. Plain or peanuts? Oh, uh, I thought of that. You're thinking too long. Peanuts, Plain peanuts, or peanuts? Peanuts. Peanuts. Thick or thin? Uh, thick. <laughs> Max, you know what? Every time I do that with somebody, they, they, they laugh at thick. They say thick and they laugh. Uh, maximum or minimum? Uh, maximum. Okay. My music library, I'm going to name five artists. You tell me if it matches with your music library. The Rolling Stones. Oh, obsessed. Steely Dan. Like, I heard, I'm sorry, I'm, I heard Muzak at the Atlanta airport of Ricky Don't Lose That Number. And I was like, <laughs> got it. Oh, that's like, my dad made me listen to Steely Dan all the time. It was Good. like, yeah. Your dad and I could bond. I love Steely Dan. The Roots. Yes. Of How Can You Not, Philly. Yeah, How Can You Not. Snoop. Legend. All-timer. And my esoteric pick of the day, Ladies Drink Free. Never heard of them. It's a big band jazz group that I just got involved with. Mm. Uh, they're from Long Island. But enough about that. Let's talk. So, what about, did you figure out? What my horoscope is from those answers? Uh, no, I, I no, that's way beyond my pay grade, bro. Okay. I let other people do that. <laughs> Trust me. Um, being a Sixers fan, and I have to imagine, I'm going to take a wild stab here and say that the Allen Iverson era had to be wheelhouse for you. What do you remember most? And let's pinpoint it: the 2001 to the NBA Finals. So, I remember being on a family vacation at the trade deadline and buying the USA Today every morning to finally see that we had traded Theo Ratliff for Dikembe Mutombo. That's where mm. we were time-wise with media and technology. Like, um, love that team. Eric Snow, Aaron McKee, Matt Geiger, uh, him catching Iverson to me was always iconic. Um, I, I love the fact that, was that year one of those jerseys also? That's a great question, and I'm going to answer and on. say no. I think it was 98-99 was the first year for those jerseys, but don't quote me. That but felt it wasn't like 2001. The, they had had yeah. those jerseys before yeah. that. Um, for me, I, I got to go to the uh, clinching game over the Bucks to go to the finals. And I remember uh, – I remember Vince Carter missing the big shot in the round before. Um, it, as a Philly fan, 
And I, I don't think I really lost this until the Phillies won it in 07. I just never thought that I was capable of winning anything. I just thought that like from where we were from, hey, like we have really good stories. We have, you know, 93 Phillies, 2001 Sixers, but like we don't actually win. But <laughs> I like I'm a big sneakerhead now, but I never grew up with Jordans because I only <laughs> grew up with Iversons. And I met him at the Cleveland All-Star game at a party and I told him that. And then he was like, yo, let me get let me get your number. And then he saw that my number was 215. And he looked at it and he looked at me and he goes, Oh, you're for real, for real. Yeah. And he hugged me and then we like bounced and he told me he loved me as he's like one to do. Sure. And then we were kind of standing there and I just said, that run in 2001 was the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like game one of that finals. I don't care that the Lakers won it. That felt like we won the series. He had that play where he bounced baseline in the lane, floated it over Shaq, you know, 54 or I think that, no, 40. How many did he have in that game? Uh, he, he yeah, 50, yeah. He? I don't think he had 50, but uh, the step over uh, of Teron oh, Lou. Lou. Raja yeah. Bell hitting a clutch Raja shot. Bell. Eric Snow. Right. Larry Brown said to me before the game, he said, Raja Bell's going to play in this game. And he was like a rookie out of Florida wow. internationally. He said, I got Raja Bell in this game. What do you see what he does? I don't know how Larry Brown knew that, but yeah. It Crazy. was um it was it was Peak Iverson. Uh he's he's top three athlete for me all time. And that was the year where the rest of the world it, he just encompassed Philly. And your calls were freaking incredible. Oh, like thanks. you nailed every single one. Batting down the windows and door. Like it was uh hi the thanks. women and children. Like yeah. <laughs> uh that must have been so, amazing for you, man. Yeah, I, I would listen. Uh, Alan said some nice things about me at the Hall of Fame, and I and I just said to him, "Listen, uh, I just provided the soundtrack; you gave me the material." So mm -hmm. I, I was just reflecting, I guess, what every Sixer fan was thinking inside—the excitement and the drama and all the rest. Uh, uh, Kevin Nagandi, who's a, a friend, of course, at ESPN, yep. he never seems to hide his Philly fandom. Uh, do you feel like you have to hide it with what you do? That's funny. Me and Kevin were hanging out at the Arizona Super Bowl uh, and talking about this. Uh, I gave that up a long time ago. When I got to Bleacher Report and I started doing an NFL podcast that was national, I just decided I'm, I'm openly going to talk about being an Eagles fan. I just realized how many other people had biases because they were hiding it. And you would see it on how the, the way they would describe certain teams. I think it's more honest to be very outward with it. And I think the, th the reason I don't have to worry about it is Philly fans are more critical of their team than other people are of Philly teams. So like we'll be sitting on the desk and then Jamal will go, well, I know Lefko is going to pick the Sixers because he's a Philly fan. And I'm going to go, I would never pick James Harden and Doc Rivers against the Bucs. Like, be because we've seen this story so many times that Philly fans are not like, we're going to do it this year. Philly mm -hmm. fans are like, here's the reason why we're going to be a f like an <laughs> utter disappointment. Um, other people might have an issue with it. I think, though, that uh, – the years of the years of not at, uh, admitting that you're a fan of a team, I think actually would weird me out. If I mm -hmm. met somebody that did our job and wasn't a fan, I'd be like, why are you even doing this? This is the reason we get into it. 
And you're a fan of the other teams as well, of course, I would imagine. I think I'm a fan of oh Philly. Yeah, all Philly yeah. team. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. All right. Yeah. I just want to check check your card and make sure we can uh, we could pass you through. Um <laughs> back to back to your time here at Turner. You described TNT's Ernie Johnson as being a godfather. I, mm. I, I think the guy's uh, amazing. And those of us in the business understand and appreciate what he does technically mm. and uh, aesthetically and, and, and all the rest. Uh, why such high praise for Ernie Johnson? Well, his, his nickname at TNT is the Godfather. That's really? I think Sha- I think Shaq and Chuck called him that. Mm. Um, the, the reason that TNT is a different place to work than other national uh, television broadcasting areas is when you have Chuck and Ernie who know the name of the janitor and will treat the janitor better than they will treat their co-hosts, who are you? Like you think you're going to come in here with an ego and an attitude and not work that hard and then Ernie – gets there at like two in the afternoon for a seven o'clock show and doesn't leave till 2 a.m. and then has an hour and a half drive home. Like mm. who, who are you to go in and wing it when that dude has like his own personal NBA notebook that he updates every morning? Mm. Uh, for me, I got a chance to hang out with him at a, a national Emmys. When I first got to Bleacher Report, we presented an award together. Seeing how he interacted with everybody all day, let me know the kind of person he was. That night is when he gave his Broadcaster of the Year Award to Stuart Scott's daughters because he had mm-hmm. just passed on and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Mm-hmm. That's when I realized how special of a human he was. And then before my first Tuesday season, I got to go in and just kind of watch him on a Thursday. So I went in early and asking every question. Why do you have eight highlighters of different colors? Uh, what is this? What stats do you use? And it there's a level of preparation to do a show like that. No other talent comes to the meeting. Shaq doesn't come to the meeting. Chuck, they don't know what they're going to talk about. Ernie's the only one, him and the producer have figured out, we're going to go here to here to here. I think Chuck will react here. But you are... With Chuck, you might come in, we're going to do five minutes on the Thunder game last night. And then Chuck's going to come on and go, man, you have a drive down and hit a pothole. And then you're <laughs> like, man, where, what? how do you not fix potholes? And now Ernie's looking at all of his notes and he's just going, we're in potholes. We're talking potholes. And so what, what I learned watching Ernie was you don't prepare to say those words on TV you prepare just in case you have to provide context. So when when one of my analysts goes, I just feel like since the All-Star break, they haven't been shooting the ball well. I have to have that. Sure, I got a stat guy up there in my ear, but I want to have it so that he doesn't even have to look it up. Hmm. Man, those next three games are going to be crucial. All right, next three games, at Lakers, at Clippers, home against the Sixers. Oh, and so... What, that's what I learned from him. What I'm still trying to get better at and watch from him is he's still such a great storyteller. And when he storytells out of commercial, that's when it really impacts me. So because the human nature thing is to go, hello and welcome back. There are times where Ernie will hit you with. Can you imagine going two of 30 from three? 
and then you get the ball with two seconds left and knock it in. That's what Dennis Schroeder did last night. And, and so for me, what I love is he's always showing me something new. I'm never going to try and copy it, but if someone has done it the right way for so long, I at least need to study it. And when I found out he went in at 2.30, I was going in at 2. When I found out that he talks to the producer all week, I'm calling him every single day. And so um, I just he just he treats the job with respect. And I just think there's no other way to do it once you see it done that way. Amen, brother. By the way, uh, the Barkley imitation, I thought was really good. Uh, do you have Thanks. any others? Do you have any others? Um, well, you know, she's not just in the, the notch on your belt, Christopher Walken, uh-huh, right here. I see. I um, like that. Let me think. Oh, there, there's tons. I just, my, the thing that I'm trying to get away from is when I hear someone talk to me from another country, I start, there's like a barista around here that's Australian. And I'm always like, ah, crikey. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> like it just, it's a, it's a Bruce Lefko thing. My dad, like I, I got it from him, but no, I'm proud of my Chuck. Uh, where are you now in your career? Are you good? I mean, can you hang out where you are right now doing everything you're doing? Turner, Bleacher Report and anything else, anything anybody else wants you to do? I think um, there's this weird, there's this weird notion that people will come up to me and they'll they'll talk about you know Ernie leaving, and as though like that's what I'm hoping for, and I I try to explain them and I think they 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 understand my sincerity is that I'm so proud to be his teammate that to get to be in this position hosting alongside of him and rotating with him is a really enjoyable part of the journey that I don't think is done yet uh, because I I think Ernie can do this for eight, 10 more years. I really do think that. Um, what I'm looking to do right now, because I think young people get obsessed with um, graduating vertically, I'm trying to expand horizontally. So now it's, um, you know, I want to start a family soon. So how can I use this time right now to maybe launch some projects uh, that I've never done before? Or if I was if I was going to be an executive producer for talent that I wasn't even hosting, how would I do that? And who would I want to work with? Um, there's this thing, I think, with being on camera where everyone assumes that you want to be on camera, uh, but you can't scale that, you know? And also, like, I don't want to be on camera all the time. I would love to, you know, work with younger people and all that, but also, like, I'm seeing a lot of podcasts with just athletes. I helped out with the Kelsey Brothers podcast and just kind of gave them ideas on how it could work. Um, so I, I really enjoy that. Um, I'm enjoying learning business, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I think for so long in the business, you come up and I went from 18,000 to 19,000 to 32,000 to 34,000. And my friends are in New York and LA and they're saving money. And I'm like, I have no money to save. I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. And now I get to a point where people are talking to me about, you know, businesses and, and investing in companies. And and I I look at it all. And to me, it's a whole new world because I've never thought about any of this stuff before. But the thing that I always remind myself every day is the main thing is the main thing. And I 
no matter what I did, no matter how much money I make, I would still watch people on TV and I would go, damn, that's kind of what I would want to do right now. And so since that's the thing, uh, I, I, I'm trying to refine the craft. So I'm going to go back this off season and kind of watch the shows. I need to get better at using uh, negative space. Um, I think there's a lot of times where there's a gap and I want to fill that with words and I'm trying to get better at not speaking and just kind of letting the silence hang. Um, mm. I've done play by play for about two or three games. Uh, they've all been the rising stars. I want to get better at that. I don't know if that's something I want to do long term, um, but it's the best seat in the house. And don't I it know is, and it's the best. You, Man, when you really see how fast it moves and because I, I bet you're like this, man. Do you still watch the game and sometimes you just start doing the game? Does that ever happen? Uh, let's put it this way. I listen to the announcer and think, would I have said that? Would I have said it mm -hmm. differently? Is, was that appropriate? That sort of thing. I'm critiquing from that aspect. But, you know, I, I've probably done about 5,000 events in my <sighs> life, so... You know, I, I, I'm trying to put all that behind me, oh, to I get be quite it. I get honest it. with you. But yeah. um, listen, we all we um, all have stages, man. Uh, you're 36 years old. When you were born, I was doing half times of the Sixers games. Now I'm retired. You got a an awesome future ahead of you. I'm Thanks, so man. happy you were here. I'm really proud of you. Uh, I hope we meet again in some form or fashion. Thank you so much for joining us. And is there a Seinfeld line out there somewhere that we can close with that's appropriate mm. here? And you want to be my latex salesman. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words, man. Uh, I, I don't say this lightly. Uh, what you did was you took Philadelphia sports to the next level. <sighs> you, Harry Callis, um, like Merrill Reese, Merrill Reese, you like, I don't, I don't, it's not an aging thing to say that you were the voice of my childhood. What I mean really is you were so good that I didn't know you were local. You were so good that I, I, when I would listen to other games for other teams, I would sit there and go, what is this nonsense? Like, I just want to say that I'm so happy for you because I feel like you drained all the juice out the towel. You, you, you did it to your heart's desire and you killed it every single time and you never had a bad game. And I'm, I'm so excited to see where you go because I know you still have that energy left. And the fact that you asked me to do this uh, blows me away. And I know all my friends are going to be jealous, man. So we love you. I love you. And I appreciate you, man. Love you back, man. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, brother.